Welcome to the One Thing Podcast, where we all get to practice dancing with the one thing that individuals, communities, and countries have yet to try. Yeah, and in this episode, this is cool because we've done our foundational topics episodes now, and this is our first topic episode after done having done those nine episodes illuminating our core principles and beliefs that are underneath all of what we are presenting in each episode going forward from here. So for this, our first topic episode, we're discussing different origin stories and cosmologies and what their impacts are on the one thing. Right. And in just one moment, we're going to remind you what the one thing is. But just to sort of jumpstart our conversation, um, the way we thought we would sort of frame it is by saying that any any God or higher presence that the, the human mind conjures, so that would be the human mind that's disconnected from the divine mind or the higher mind or the infinite mind, it, it's going to end up creating, this human mind is going to end up creating a, a more wayward situation that thwarts our attempts to reconnect with the source of life. So that's a mouthful and and you can sort of think about that and you know over the rest of your life. <laughs> but just the point is is that we really do need to be in this in connection with the one thing which we'll re revisit here in just one moment in order for anything that we would conjure to make sense and to not be wayward. Yeah. And so what we're going to do in this episode is we're going to share our respective origin stories. You have your own, uh, but we're going to share ours so that we can illuminate how, examples of how the one thing got diluted and disconnected. Right, right. And if, if you recall, the, we're, we're calling the one thing this, um, this impossible to be disconnected from each of us as individuals, if we are breathing, if we have life, then we, however slim or wide the strand of connection is to this source of all life. And just to sort of reiterate, we, it doesn't matter what you call that. It could be, you know, life force. It could be a spirit. It could be, you know, the creative life force. It could be God. It could be, what are some of the other names that we've used? Nature, any of those addresses are actually referencing the one thing. And it's that one thing that it, it, it's actually at that connection point that we all have access to unity in this, in this experience that seems very separate. That's the disconnection part. So um, yeah, did I say everything? So our job as humans is to first to become consciously aware that there is such a thing to connect to and then to do the work of practicing on a regular basis day in and day out in all the pockets of our life bringing that connection to um, all of the slices of life we're better in some slices than others and so the slices we're less good at is our best growth edge right and um, and to and to practice yielding to what it feels like to give the reins over to this higher connection. It doesn't mean we dissolve our own unique sort of personality cells because we're still in a physical experience, 
but it does mean we aren't running the show at the level of the smaller human mind because that's where things go um cattywampus let's say (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so right so i i would love to share how i make sense of and so this is what we're calling the origin story how i make sense of sort of like being in these brambles of time and space bumping around like bumper cars in what feel like individual bodies which which they are but until we do what i just said uh, it, it feels very very heavy and intense and separate right and so the way i have made sense of this and this has come about for me over a period of probably 40 plus years and so and it all comes from spiritual teachers and scientists who understand quantum physics and metaphysics and you know leading edge understanding of of energy really because we are really talking about energy when we when we sort of boil it all down so i i imagine that before we incarnate into a physical experience we're we're all sort of in this warm soup of love and it's all the same there's nothing there's no contrast to it in which to experience itself. So at some level, consciousness said, you know, I'd love to have the experience of myself. And so hence the extension from the, you know, the central core of creation or the source of all life or, you know, the, the zero point consciousness, whichever word you'd like to put to it. There's these multitude of extensions of life force, which I'm calling you and I. And it just so happens we're in these separate bodies, these bubbles of biology, as I think it's Bruce Lipton calls it. <laughs> Somebody calls calls us bubbles of biology. But that doesn't mean the part of us that is unseen isn't also part of our experience and isn't also connected to this higher, higher realm. I recently heard a spiritual teacher say that the third dimension is, is between 95 and 98% fear. So it's the purpose of the third dimension, which most of us drop into when we're born, right? Like we we go from this warm, connected, love-based soup where where we have 24-7 room service, right? (laughs) Everything is available. And And then we say, well, let's try contrast. And so we drop into the third dimension and, and the purpose of the third dimension with, with such a drastic disconnection from this source of life is to explore contrast in, for the purpose of making choice as a, as an individual, as a, as a, you know, an individual still connected, but sometimes we don't always know that, right? We're never not connected. It's just that we in our human mind completely forget that for decades and possibly lifetimes or at least along our lifelines right so um and then we find our way back and we we it's like a a bit of a what what a a treasure a treasure hunt is that what uh, what was that thing where we you have to, you used to have to go i'm dating myself now but door to door and say do you have a button or do you have a spool of thread or do you have you know a piece of string cheese it was a scavenger hunt scavenger scavenger hunt right well in my view of life now it's it's like we're this is a scavenger hunt this is a treasure hunt and what's the treasure the treasure is connection to love so my job as a human being is to is to discover the ways that i'm disconnected so that i can bring myself back in in that particular 
perspective in that particular slice of life back to love. And I also recently heard someone say, we F it up. She didn't, she said the whole word, but I, I, I'll be, I'm going to be um, <laughs> G-rated. Yeah, G-rated, right. We F it up over and over and over until we get it. And so that's the game board. That's the purpose. That's the design. And then one might say, but why all the suffering and why all the pain? Well, there are two considerations to that. One is that contrast. If you think about the furthest contrast from love, that would be the most painful and and, and that would elicit the most suffering. And and when we drop in, we trust. I have been told over and over and over that as on a soul level that we wanted so bad to come into this physical reality earth specifically because of this contrast and we've talked about duality in one of our other uh, shows that, that that it's so it's so great that we have the greatest chance of evolving our soul and the ultimate in soul evolution is becoming closer and more expanded into love and so one last thing on this and then I'll stop <laughs> is that the whole point of the game at an at a even higher level than each of us individually being on the treasure hunt to discover love is that all of life gets to expand into more love as each of us have, you know, every moment we have a discovery of this, of this sort. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's the, the long and the short of it. I, I'm sure I could say more, but I should probably leave it at that. <laughs> and I'll share my origin story next with a reminder to all of you that Lori and I are just being transparent about our origin stories. There is no um, implied uh, expectation or idea that you should abandon yours and adopt one of ours. Uh, we're, we're sharing our origin stories in order to illuminate some things about the connection between origin stories and connection with the one thing. So keep that in mind as I now share the origin story that I most resonate with, which has some overlaps with Lori's and some nuanced differences as well. So the origin story after studying, as Lori has uh, over the course of both of our lives, multiple, multiple different cosmologies and origin stories, uh, the one that I most resonate with is uh, it goes something like this in the beginning there was the author there was god or whatever word you want to use for god there was that that which creates and the creation of that which creates so there was god and god's creation if we use the g word and in that state of unity between god and god's creation all there was was love all there was was love and the extension of love, which was the creation. And in the midst of this lovingness, this expression of love and extension of and the extension of love came this question that that which was created by source, by God, forgot to laugh at the silliness of, which was is there something beyond God? Is there something beyond source? And in that moment when that question arose and the, uh, the, the question appeared to be serious 
rather than a, a silly and impossible question. Of course, how could there be anything beyond love? How could there be anything beyond all that there is, all that, all that was created? In forgetting the silliness of that question, there was the appearance of a split, a separation from source. And in that moment, <laughs> from timelessness to time, that moment from eternity into the illusion of time, there was this, this, this terror that arose. It was like, oh my gosh, uh, there, is, there is something beyond that which is source and the extension of source. And the analogy for what happened in that, in that moment of forgetting the silliness of the question is that we fell into a dream. The collective, the collective creation of source fell into this dream where it was possible to be separated. And in this dream that it was possible, possible to be separated from source, there was a sense of guilt and a sense of terror and a sense of uh, oh, oh my God, what is God going to do? What is source going to do when source catches up with us? When source figures out that we've actually created, allegedly, something beyond source, something beyond God. And into that terror, into that fear, was invented a physical universe. Now, physical universe has its core properties are completely different from the properties of source, which is love and timelessness, uh, eternity, unchangeability. And suddenly the creation of source, the creation of God, imagines itself in a physical universe whose properties are not eternity, but but time, not changelessness, but constant change, and not connection and, and unity and, and love, but disconnection and disunity and fear. And so now we're terrified that God's going to figure out that we've separated from God. And when God catches up with us, God's going to be really pissed off that we've done this. That's the delusional dream. And so in this creation story, the objective the, the prime directive is for us to gradually wake up from the dream to realize we've never really left in the first place. So the last part of this origin story that I'll share is, meanwhile, back at the ranch, as it were, <laughs> there's God, there's Source, who has noticed that, that Source's creation, collective creation, that has splintered into each one of us individually has fallen into a dream and not just a dream, but a nightmare. So the analogy would be of a parent who has noticed that their child is sleeping and in this sleeping state, the child is exhibiting all of the symptoms of a nightmare. The, the child is moaning and calling out and and crying and 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 suffering and all god wants to do is to wake up the child just like any loving parent would want to wake up a child to say it's okay honey 
Everything's fine. Nothing's changed. Love is here. You're here. I'm here. We're here. Nothing's been altered. It's all fine. Meanwhile, as long as the child is locked into believing the nightmare is real, there is no connection with the loving parent who's wanting the child to wake up. And so our our job is to simply awaken from a dream. Right. That's the short version of my origin story right. that I most resonate with of all the different origin stories that I've studied. Right. And one of the, I, I didn't want to interrupt you, one of the other things that I think we feel when we have that point of disconnection, like let's go see if we could do it on our own, is a sense of abandonment because, and that's a, a core thing. And it's, there's also another feeling too, which is a, I, I'm not enough. I'm, if I'm disconnected from the all that I am, then all of a sudden I'm just this sort of separate thing and I don't feel like I'm enough. And of course, if we, from that disconnection, we do feel like we're not enough. So those are, those are core wounds that almost every human being has to sort of find their way through. And I don't know any way of of actually healing, at, you know, at deep levels with lasting impact, those core wounds of not enough abandonment, you know, um, and and also anger, like and anger, yeah, uh, you know that that can be part of the story too, like totally. uh, like it's God that's abandoned us, you know, it's all right. projection, uh, yeah. it's projection onto source of what we imagined was possible. Right. Right. And so those are, that's like the, the core wound to heal is the reconnection to this, this source of life. And I, I don't know about you, David, but I know that all of those, all those wounds, you know, that we just mentioned the, I'm not enough and all the things um, I, I could only actually find my way through them with my connection to source. I, I had to have my higher presence teach me what was true about what felt like the only truth there was like it really did feel like i was abandoned it really did feel like i was not enough it, it really did, you know anger it, that's what i'm still working out actually <laughs> in terms of just what i see in the world and that kind of thing but um and and so it's not like that isn't happening it's not like that's not the experience but it isn't the only truth and so the more i i personally like yielded to be given more wisdom and understanding about it, the more I could rest into this uh, a higher truth, right? And I know that some people have a really good relationship with their higher presence, the, the one thing. And they, and they are able to actually even engage with this connection through their religious other people actually need to re, re, like leave their religious path in order to spread their wings and discover, you know, beyond the dogma and the doctrines that are, you know, often man-made. You know, I think we forgot, to, or I forgot to say this earlier, is that when you peel back all the layers from all the paths, all the spiritual paths, all the philosophies, all the religions, really, it's the one thing that is at, at the core of it all, right? They just all have different ways of teaching and things they leave out, things they emphasize that aren't necessarily the best things to emphasize all for whatever their purposes are. That's another conversation. But uh, the, the, the point is, is that anybody can have, whether they're religious-based or not religious-based, 
they can foster this relationship with the one thing. And the other thing I'll say about that is every moment in time, in this time-space reality that we reconnect with that energy, when we reconnect with the essence of life, and we sort of like a dissolve an old belief because of that connection, and because it has been brought to our awareness, we the entire uh, collective uh, of life is is gifted by us doing that. So a lot of times people will say things like, "Oh, I, I don't know what I can do to help, you know, <laughs> make the world a better place." And I, I would say to you that doing this very thing, connecting to your higher presence, to the one thing that has, um, you know, sort of like the best guidance I know of, bar none, <laughs> um, the more you actually make a shift in the collective, the more of us that do this, this is the reason why we're doing this show. The more of us that are willing to do this in more and more moments of our lives, the quicker we can actually affect the greater good. And what we're, we're really getting toward here in what we're talking about in this episode is the heart or the essence of spiritual self-responsibility. It's the, uh, what I mean by spiritual self-responsibility is, is taking responsibility for how we individually and collectively uh, as humanity have overlaid our experience of the belief that it's possible to be separated from source, from the one thing, from love, onto our notions of God and religion and spirituality. And so when, when we do that or when we wake up to the fact that we've done that, it's like Lori's saying, it's not a matter of abandoning a religious path that you resonate with or, uh, or you know, abandoning any, anything that uh, that your sure. your highest self resonates with. It's mm -hmm. it's about taking responsibility for having inadvertently disconnected God, religion, spirituality, et cetera, et cetera, from the one thing. And the the only version of an origin survey, uh, story that is helpful in Lori's and my opinion, regardless of what the storyline says, is the storyline, an origin story that reconnects us with the one thing, that helps us deepen and sustain our connection, our connectedness with the one thing. Yeah. And sustenance is a good word because there really isn't a way to get this level of sustenance unless we're connected. We've yeah. all tried. This is the this is another reason that we started this podcast is because humans have been trying for thousands of years, thousands, literally tens of thousands, and always leaving this one thing out, right? <laughs> Only to come back up empty-handed and disconnected in in different generations and different you, you know versions of life expression, and and so it we we sort of are coming to the place in in the understanding of collective consciousness in humanity that this can no longer be left off off it just can't right and as I as I lead up to talking about an epiphany I had about this at age seventeen is it okay to yeah yeah go segue into that um, I what I want to say is that. In my relationships with people from an, 
a vast number of uh, and range of religious and metaphysical and spiritual and mm, non-spiritual yet love-based paths uh, around around the world. What what I've come to appreciate and trust is that there's actually one spiritual experience. That's the experience of connectedness and love. And all spiritual experiences happen outside of language. They happen outside of the ability to put those things into words so that when any of us have had that kind of peak experience or transcendent experience or flow experience or enlightenment experience or whatever term you want to use for that spiritual experience. And we come back into an everyday version of functioning. Our attempts to put that experience into words always fall short. They never, those words never fully capture what our experience was. And every single person that I've talked with, in addition to my own personal experience, has reported exactly this. So there's one spiritual experience, but there clearly can never be one way of attempting to describe or name that spiritual experience or one path for accessing that spiritual experience. And that leads me to the epiphany I had when I was 17 years old, which I'm going to capture as briefly as I, as I can. So when I was in high school, there were four of us that were kind of like the four musketeers and we would stay up late at night talking philosophy and religion and politics and all kinds of stuff. And we all then went off to college. And during Thanksgiving vacation of our freshman year of college, we all came back home and we got together for one of our late night <laughs> life, the universe and everything discussions. And very late this one night, one of the four of us turns to the, uh, the other three of us and he says to us, I, uh, with, with clearly a lot of pain in, in his way of putting this into words, that he'd been struggling with a very deep question and it, it, was, um, it was kind of embarrassing to him what the question was. And he, he said that he wanted to tell us what this question was, but that we needed to promise that we wouldn't laugh at him for having this question. And the, the three of us, the other three of us promised we wouldn't and we, and we didn't laugh because we could see how how painful and pressing this question was for him. And before he asked the question, he turns straight to me and he says to me, David, of all the people I know, you're you're the one who I most want to ask this question of. Now I'm gulping inside myself. And then he asks the question and with clear still with with this deep pain and yearning and need in his voice, he says to me, David, what is reality? Now, I'm 17 years old at the time. I hadn't turned 18. And my internal reaction was, how the hell should I know I'm only 17? But my friend was in pain and I wanted to, to be helpful to him. And in that moment of wanting to be helpful and knowing that I had no idea 
what the answer to his question was. I had an experience in which I kind of stepped aside and words started coming through my voice and my mouth. And I was witnessing the, these words just as the, the others in our circle of four were witnessing these words. And here's what the words were. I can't tell you what reality is, but what I can tell you with def definitiveness is every single belief system that the world has ever seen is built on its own set of core assumptions that are neither verifiable nor unverifiable. And the best of those belief systems, everything that's built on top of those unverifiable core assumptions is coherent with, is, is, is not contradictory to those core assumptions. And then this, this message continues with this, that the thing to do is to seek a belief system that most helps you feel the way that you and your highest self most want to feel and helps you act in the world the way that you and your highest self most want to act. And whatever that belief system is, because it's neither verifiable nor unverifiable, give yourself over to it entirely because it's what's going to help you feel the way you most want to feel and act the way you most want to act in your in your highest self. At the end of this discourse that com that's coming out of my mouth, I'm sitting there going hud, 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 because I had no belief system. I had no cosmology. I had no metaphysics that could explain to me what had just happened. It was actually my very first, um, if you will, channeling experience, although I had no no way of naming it that way at that time. And that whole notion that there's nowhere to stand that is, is crucial to this episode because it's really, as far as I can tell, it's time for us as humanity to finally release ourselves collectively from the delusion that there is an objective belief system. There is simply a belief system that best supports you and me and each of us, and it's not the exact same one. There's the one, the right fit one for you that best supports you in becoming ever more consistently connected with the one thing. Mm -hmm. Humans almost insist that because they have a place that feels like the place that's right to them, that this means that other belief systems must be wrong. And we're trying to get back get 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 you out of that that belief because that that belief you know further it 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 for it furthers uh, what Lori was talking about with her belief system that uh that these origin stories are only serving us to the extent that our particular origin story helps us connect with and stay connected more consistently with the one thing for us. Right. And that's our only job as a human being. Everything else is sort of icing on the cake, so to speak. And honestly, if we did that, if we did what David just, just articulated, 
it, it would be okay for there to be variation in cultures and races and philosophies and religions and skin colors and you know choices it, it it would just it would be as unique as there are no same fingerprints or no same you know makeup of the trillions of cells that each of us are never ever again being uniquely in this way right or your way and it's just an interesting um, shift of perspective to just kind of come into that that inner alignment as the the thing to tend. Stop worrying. I'm not saying you are, but for in general, for humans to kind of pull back on worrying about trying to make everything else be different outside and control things from you know on the outside. Um, it would be staggeringly, shockingly, welcomely, welcomingly beautiful what what could happen if we did that so you know we just want to we want to have we wanted to have this conversation for the purpose of stretching open our awareness and 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 to have the consideration beyond what our small human mind thinks it should be the controlling nature of our smaller human mind for the purpose of safety and I, I, I love saying this because if our small human mind knew how to get us to these places that we're talking about it would have done it by now, but it does not know how, which is why we need to sort of, you know, go go beyond that part of our small mind and connect into the one thing and be shown and be guided and be, you know, be in co-creation with this part of ourselves, I guess is the best way to say it. And so, yeah, so that's the invitation. And we hope that you will be willing, however clumsy at first, because it is kind of weird at first to say, let me, you know, call in this higher presence of mine into every pocket of life. And I mean, every pocket, you know, when you're picking your underwear out and when you're cutting your vegetables and when you're all the things, right? Every- No exceptions. No exceptions. This is in my view, what it means to make life sacred, to consecrate all aspects of life because there is no aspect of life that isn't worthy of being sacred. It already is. We just have to acknowledge it. So- yeah, we just have to stop pretending it's not. Exactly. <laughs> and that leads us to our little teaser for our next episode, which will piggyback on what we've covered in this episode. Because as we were talking about this episode uh, in planning it, we we realized that there, there really are developmental stages in, in the development of our relationship with taught consciousness, with the, the, the one thing connectedness. So what we're going to be covering in the next episode is, is about moving beyond chasing situational highs because that, that experience that many of us have gone through a stage of doing in our, in our lives is but one stage in the developmental stages of taught connectedness. So in the ne next episode, we're going to go over with you our best understanding of what the developmental stages are in becoming more and more consistently and ongoingly connected with the one thing. So- Liberation until... at its best. It's what we're all looking for. <laughs> What at its best? I cut you off. Liberation, being liberated. liberation at its best. Absolutely. Free. Freedom. So, yeah. freedom. So until next time, remember to dance with your better half. <laughs>